You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Here at the Mosaic Center, our mission is to build lives and break cycles by helping individuals eliminate the educational, financial, and relational and spiritual barriers to lasting transformation. We try to cast everything we do within the vision of the three E's. These E's serve as guidelines and mile markers for us to use to measure our progress and our choices by. They serve to define our role as a ministry and an organization within the larger work of the kingdom. These three E's are educate, empower, and employ. We believe that these three E's serve as a good model for everything we do here at the Mosaic Center because they reflect the goals for our personal lives, the goals for our programs, and how those programs move people in their relationship with Jesus. Educate reflects our goal to expand people's knowledge of God and the world they live in so they can make a difference in that world. Our first goal of our programs is to educate people about the things they struggle with. At the Mosaic Center, we have several programs that serve that vision. Our GED and Women of Worth programs fulfill this the most directly. Our first goal through GED is to meet our community where they're at educationally and prepare them for the workforce by working through their educational weak points at their own pace. Our Women of Worth program helps unemployed or underemployed women and pairs them with mentors to help them set goals for themselves and take realistic strides to reach those goals. While these programs seek to tackle more traditional concepts of education, Free Tuesdays is focused on educating people who struggle with addiction about their addiction and recovery. Free Tuesdays is a 12-step program centered on changing lives and breaking cycles through Christ-centered recovery. Our ultimate goal in each of these programs is to not only educate people about what they struggle with, but also about who Jesus is and how God's life-changing power fits into their lives. Through the word empower, our mission is to provide those who struggle with the means to provide for themselves or improve on their situation with the resources to do so. We strive to empower those in our community just as the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work of the kingdom. Our first program that embodies this is our mobile pantry in our pathways. The mobile pantry goes to Freedom's Path VA and the Maxwell House to provide food goods to residents, while our Pathways program sells home necessities to residents at the Maxwell House at a severely discounted rate. These programs provide us with a unique opportunity to provide for our physical needs of our neighbors while also giving us the opportunity to care for their souls as well. Empowerment goes beyond simply caring for their physical needs. The people that the Mosaic Center serves are not truly empowered in any meaningful way and must be care for their souls as well as their bodies. Our work of empowerment goes beyond our pantry and our Pathways Ministries. Our program director, Veronica Jordan, is on staff full-time at the Maxwell House to provide support for residents there. From planning activities to helping provide for the missing needs or simply being a friend, Veronica strives to empower our community at Maxwell House both physically and mentally. At the Mosaic Center, we empower our community mentally by preparing them and presenting them with opportunities to apply what they learn and spiritually 
by presenting them opportunities to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Our Exceptional Circles program aims at providing care and respite for children and families affected by autism and other disabilities by partnering with the Center for New Beginnings. Exceptional Circles provides monthly respite nights that allow parents to take a night of rest while our team gives the kiddos a fun night here at the Center. Day to day, our partnership with Center for New Beginnings offers uh, therapy and support for children suffering from any kind of disability. Our last E is employ. We wanna take all these things and help people find employment in their occupations and find employment in their service to God. We wanna educate those in our community so they are empowered to find freedom in life and in spirit, and then go out into the world to employ themselves for their families, their community, and the kingdom of God. Our prayer is that our programs would impact those who that participate in a way that leads them to find freedom and service in Jesus. GED and Women of Worth help people get their skills they need and the qualifications they need to support them through their education to find employment in occupation and in spirit. Similarly, we want all our work at the Maxwell House and with Exceptional Circles to provide people with the physical and spiritual support they need to find freedom in their personal circumstances and in Jesus. And that's what the Mosaic Center does. How awesome is that? You guys have been hearing about Veronica Jordan and you get the chance to meet Veronica Jordan. So will you welcome Veronica? <laughs> she is already well loved and, uh, and appreciated through uh, folks who are at the pantry who, who visit with her every, I don't know, a lot. A lot. And I mean, uh, I'm already leaning on her wisdom. This woman knows more about community resources than all the rest of us combined, <laughs> plus two. She's amazing. So Veronica, welcome. And thank Veronica you, serves, you. as you heard there, as the, the program director for uh, the Mosaic Center at Maxwell House. And you've been there since August 1st, is that right? Or yeah, August yeah. 1st. Yeah, and um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, let me see. <laughs> I'm very simple, easy to get along with. Uh, I'm married, I have two children, 33 and 36. I have a grandson that's 12, um, he lives with me, and we're expecting a new little grandbaby named Camden. She already has a name. <laughs> All right, that's awesome, that's awesome. And you came to us out of the VISTA program. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what VISTA does. Okay. Um, VISTA is Volunteers in Service to America through United Way. Um, I actually didn't apply for the job. <laughs> <laughs> I was asked to assist someone and after helping them, they said, oh, we referred you for a job. And I said, oh, I'm a little old for that, but I can try. So <laughs> I started with United Way. It's just a regular visit in uh, Copeland Elementary. Very successful, very blessed. Um, and then they moved me up to Vista Leader. So I'm over 18 other Vistas. And what we do is help eradicate poverty, empowerment, and educate. Isn't that awesome? So, yes. so pretty much everything that she learned in Vista is just <laughs> transferred right over to, to the Max to house. the Maxwell House, yes. right? So, what do you love about the Maxwell House? Oh wow, it keeps me humble. <laughs> <laughs> and when I drive home, I always have something to think about. Mm -hmm. um, and just meeting the people and a lot of things I used to take for granted, um, I no longer take for granted. Yeah, my heart is open. And it's amazing that people just really need that 
just that touch or just somebody to say, oh, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And we take those words like, oh, it'll be okay. But to them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it'll be okay carries a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Carolyn doesn't know. I'm probably at Maxwell House six days a week. Yeah, I do know. <laughs> <laughs> I do know. Okay. Um, and I just, I love it. Um, sometimes I do call Carolyn because I think my focus get a little tilted because I get personal. But mm -hmm. I just feel blessed that God has allowed me the opportunity to, um, to reach out and to touch them and just, you know, love on them. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes just a good morning will make the difference mm -hmm. in somebody's yeah. day. Yeah, and and I do know the amount of time that you have given uh, to Maxwell House. I tell you, it is a sweet thing to watch somebody give their heart to a mission field. And um, I don't, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't know that we so much think of Maxwell House as a mission field so much as a place that for some illogical reason, God has put us. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't make a ton of sense that this group out in Evans, Georgia, should have this heart-level connection with this group of people downtown. But our, God has not let go of that grip, of, of our grip on that at all. And um, so, it's, it, so I really feel like Veronica provides that bridge between downtown and the Evans office of the Mosaic Center. Yes. She brings a ton of resources to the work. And uh, the, the last board meeting we were at, Veronica was our resource queen. <laughs> she, had, she had contacts in so many different places that we hadn't thought of. And so she just brings so much. And aren't we blessed, folks, to have her you. here. Thank you. So I want to ask you, if you would, just to hold a hand out toward Veronica, and we're going to pray over her, okay? Lord Jesus, it's a true privilege for me to be in this place with Veronica um, where we get to share in ministry together, where we get to offer the words of life to people who live in a kind of interesting little apartment building in downtown Augusta. I thank you that you've given that to Veronica to be her call, and I thank you, God, that you've given it to us to come alongside and support and love in all the ways that you empower. So my prayer, Lord, is that you would anoint Veronica for the work. Anoint her for the work of sharing the gospel at Maxwell House. Anoint her for the work of making disciples. Anoint her for the work of bringing hope. Anoint her for the work of loving her neighbor as herself. Anoint her also, God, with the discipline to know what's hers and what's not hers. Um, to have the wisdom to know the difference between the things she can control and the things she can't. And Lord, we pray that, um, that, the, that the vision we've always had for that building would come to life in a new way in this season, Lord. That there would be a great empowering and unleashing and uh, a revival in that building, Lord. Now, people, when they walk through the front door, would be blown away by the power of the Holy Spirit in that building. We ask for the health and the welfare of every person who serves, uh, and, uh, who serves and who works and who lives in that place. And if you would do that, Lord, we would be so grateful. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for every good gift. And today, especially, we thank you for Veronica. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.
So the Maxwell House is just such a beautiful place. <laughs> um, years ago, years ago, our family, Steve, Claire Marie, and I, when, when Claire Marie was still a little girl, we went to a state park, and I got enthralled by this huge moss-covered rock over, over which the, the rapids were flowing. And I got out there in the middle of it, and I laid back on that rock, and so the water was just coming all around me, and I w it was glorious, just laying on that rock, all that water rushing over me. And when I, I stood up finally, and I was just full of joy and excitement, and little Claire Marie, without even looking up at me, said, Mama's working on a sermon. <laughs> and she's right. <laughs> you, know, you don't become a writer or a, or a preacher without turning everything into an illustration. Everything you see, everything everywhere becomes a sermon or an illustration uh, or, or, or everything has potential. Moments in the grocery store, moments with our pets, conversations with a child, moments at Maxwell House. All of it has a lesson, and that's true for all of us, whether you work uh, vocationally in ministry or you just are a follower of Jesus. The gate of heaven is everywhere. I want you to say that together with me. I'm gonna say it again, and then I want you to say it together with me. The gate of heaven is everywhere. You've heard me say that many times, but I really want it to sink in today. The gate of heaven is everywhere. And that's true for all of us, and that's really the premise behind this card that we've been talking about all uh, since the beginning of August. It's, it's the trust and promise that if we'll go looking for God, even in the scripture, go looking for God, we will find him. So we want this card to become our culture because it teaches us how to encounter God, how to really go looking for God. And we've taught it to you in three movements, contemplation, confession, and communion. We've talked about contemplation three weeks ago, letting the Bible speak to us on its own terms, and then we talked about confession two weeks ago, taking time to listen for where the message of the Bible intersects with our own lives, and then last week we talked about communion, getting our, our ears close enough to God's heart that we could hear God's heart for the whole world. And if we'll give ourselves to those practices, contemplation, confession, and communion, opening the Bible, listening to the words for that inner voice of the Spirit, taking time to simply enjoy God, giving him space and permission to break our hearts for people. If we'll give ourselves to those simple practices, God will revive and renew and recreate and he will send. And that's what we've been learning to do these last few weeks. And today we're going to put all those pieces together and, and one more time and, and with a focus on the sending. And we're going to use a passage from Acts chapter 8. So if you want to get your Bible, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and Krista will bring you one. If you've got your Bible, turn it to Acts chapter 8. This is a story about a disciple of Jesus named Philip. 
Uh, Philip was, um, when Acts chapter eight opens, actually there's another disciple, Stephen, who's just been martyred. He's just been stoned to death. First martyr among the disciples. And after Stephen was stoned, persecution against Christians broke out and the apostles were scattered all throughout um, Judea and Samaria. Philip ended up in Samaria preaching the gospel there to crowds of people. And chapter eight, verse seven tells us that under Philip's ministry, people were delivered of impure spirits and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Uh, so there was this great joy in the city. That's exactly what it says. There was great joy in the city and many came to believe. And then Peter and John showed up because they wanted to make sure Philip was doing it right. People had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they wanted them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Philip and, uh, excuse me, Peter and John baptized a whole bunch of people in the Holy Spirit. So this was revival happening in Samaria, a place where Jews didn't even want to go. Maybe, maybe this was revival happening in Samaria because the pump was already primed for this by an earlier contact with Jesus. Do you remember when he talked to the Samarian woman at, Samaritan woman at the well? And then she went back and she told everyone about this man who knew everything about her. And, and so by the time Philip shows up, everybody is wanting what this woman has. Maybe just maybe that is the pump that got primed and got them ready for when Philip showed up to tell them about Jesus, the Messiah. I want you to hold on to that story about the Samaritan woman. We're gonna come back to it. So all this healing, all this deliverance, all this revival, that's what Philip was called out of when the angel of the Lord spoke to him about a lone man, one guy sitting in a chariot on the side of the road somewhere outside Jerusalem. And that's where our passage begins, Acts chapter eight, verse 26. I want you to remember as you listen to me read that we're asking ourselves two questions when we first read the story of God. The first question is, what does this scripture reveal about God and his mission? And the second question is, what is this scripture reveal about the people of God? So I want you to keep those two questions in your head while you listen to the story. Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and just stand near it. <laughs> Don't you love that? Just go stand there. Go stalk this guy. How can I, he said. Oh, sorry, I'm got to, I skipped too fast. Then Philip, Philip didn't say, how can I? Hold on. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And then Philip immediately knew what to ask. He said, do you know what you're reading? And the guy said, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? I want you to underline that question. How can I, unless somebody explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
And this was the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was like, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak to, of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet asking about, or talking about, himself or someone else? I want you to underline that question too. Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for Philip, like thinking, okay, I hope this is right. <laughs> and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Arist uh, as, excuse me, Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So that's the story. I'm just gonna ask one or two of you, just one or two, what does the scripture reveal about God and his mission? Somebody give me something. What is this scripture? Yes. He wants people to, he, yeah, that's a good one. He wants people to understand the scriptures. That's good. One more person. There's no length that he won't go to. There's no length he won't go, go to. Yes. Yes. All right. So the second question. What does this scripture reveal about the people of God? What does the scripture reveal about the people of God? Somebody give me something. Obedience, that's huge, thank you, obedience. Obedience matters, right? My obedience can change someone else's life. Is there one more person? Yes. If the people are willing, he will provide a way. So all I gotta do is be willing, God will make a way. Woo, come on people, y'all are preaching, that's good. I'm struck by the fact that Philip was given this special assignment from God directed at this one man on a roadside. Philip was successful at where he was in Samaria, but God called him away from something that was going well so he could send him down a desert road to save the soul of one man. Why choose someone who was doing big things to go tell one guy the good news? What does that teach us about God and his mission? Is this a lesson in kingdom economics? Does the one person, listen, does the one person really matter as much as the crowd? I think we can at least say this, and this gets to your point, that both calls matter equally, and so some of us will be sent to crowds, and that call matters. 
And some of us will be sent to the one, and that call matters too. It's not less, it's just different. And some of us will see crowds and obvious and immediate miracles. And some of us will find ourselves sitting in the miracle of the, mir- of the revelation, uh, sorry, will find ourselves sitting in the middle of a miracle of revelation and salvation, telling the story, explaining how God works, so one person can finally see the good news. Philip's story teaches me that the kingdom of God In the kingdom of God, both things matter. And that's why he can be called from the crowd to the one, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And this is what it teaches me about the people of God, that sometimes obedience is more important than understanding. You should write that down. In fact, I've I've heard it said this way, only when obedience doesn't make sense do we begin to learn how to obey. You should write that down too. Only when obedience doesn't make sense do we begin to learn to obey. So Philip found himself on the side of the road just as this Ethiopian man passed by in his chariot and the man was a high-ranking official in the Ethiopian government in charge of the entire treasury and he was a eunuch. A man who had been physically altered so that he would give himself completely to whatever work he'd been set apart for. That was not a kind way to run a person's life. And to add insult to injury, eunuchs were not allowed into the Jewish world. But evidently, this guy was loved by God because this is who Philip was sent to. And even though he'd never been allowed into the temple as a eunuch, this man was interested in the Jewish faith. He'd been to Jerusalem. He'd he'd gotten some taste of, uh, of the prophetic word. And on his way home, Philip found him. And Philip heard him reading the scripture and asked him if he knew what he was reading. And the man looked at the scroll in his lap, looked at Philip. He must have been just frustrated enough to be honest about it. And he said... How can I understand this unless somebody teaches me? How can I understand this unless somebody teaches me? Do you realize there are people all over the world right now with some version of that question in their minds, wondering how their lives connect with the good news about Jesus Christ, wondering because nobody has explained it to them yet that it was all for them. It was all for them. So they're asking in a thousand different ways, in a thousand different languages, how can I know? How can I know if someone doesn't tell me? That question brings us to confession, defining the intersection between this story and our lives. So where are you missing it? Listening to this story, just this story, I don't need to hear every place you think you're missing it, just this story. Let me hear somebody, one person, maybe two. Where are you missing it? I don't think I'm listening closely enough 
to get involved with how, to know how to get involved with how God would have you serve in the world. That's really good, yeah. So listening to this story, where do you think you're getting it right? So you feel the change happening between the times you're missing the, what the Holy Spirit's trying to call you to and now beginning to want to listen to what the Holy Spirit's calling you to. That's good. So I'm just wondering, and I'll just, I'll just leave this question out here, but I want you to take this question home. In order to be there when God calls you to something, what's the grace that you particularly need? What's the grace that you need? And I'm just gonna let that question sit with you. The Ethiopian was reading a book, the, the, the book of Isaiah, when his chariot passed Philip on the road, it was a prophetic word about the sacrifice of the Messiah. So he asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And I love this part of the story because Philip helps this man to see that the story of Jesus really is our story. And I think that the grace that many of us need is the grace to be able to answer this question when it comes our turn. When somebody says, is, is this thing that's happening to me, is this God working in my life? Would you be able to answer that story in a way that honors the God of your salvation? Philip, he was on it. He told the man about Jesus, of how he was born in a stable to parents of very modest means, of, of Jesus' love for the scripture and how he taught in the temple, of how the disciples came to follow Jesus and how Jesus slowly molded them and taught them how to be disciples who make disciples, to share the message of God's kingdom and of how Jesus sent them out two by two to all the towns and villages so that other people could hear the good news that Jesus Christ that God's Messiah had come and, and of how God wants people to repent of their sins and learn to love each other selflessly. And then Philip told that man about the cross. He had to if he told him the good news about how the religious leaders called for his execution and carried it out one dark Friday. Jesus was that sheep led to the, sh to the slaughter that Isaiah talked about. And maybe Philip even told about how confusing it all was for the disciples in those days after the crucifixion, how the life seemed to be gone from then. But when they saw Jesus again, come on people. <laughs> The one who was crucified and dead, now raised to life again. Wow, when they saw that he was alive again, when they saw that miracle, they knew it was true that he really was sent from God himself to rescue humanity from guilt and to restore the world to wholeness. In a corrupt 
an unjust world to a man who is literally bearing the burden of a broken world in his body, that had to come as good news. And that news was enough of a revelation to give this guy from Ethiopia faith enough to believe that truth was his truth. And that story, that's my story. So he asked Philip to baptize him right then and there in some little spring or pond that they were walking or driving by. And Philip and the man got out of the chariot and walked over to the water and waded in. And as the story is told, the man went back to Ethiopia after being baptized and told so many people about Jesus. Just like that Samaritan woman who'd met Jesus at the well. And the news trickled out into the streets and it found its way into many homes. And before long, the gospel was spreading all across Africa. And it first came, Africans will tell you this is what they believe, it first came to them through this Ethiopian man. And do you know that today, the continent of Africa is the hottest place spiritually. It is experiencing a greater harvest of believers than any other region of the world. And God, knowing both ends of those stories, has had the joy of watching his will accomplished in the world. The gate of heaven is everywhere, friends. So now what about us? How does this passage invite us into the work God is doing in the world? What did God say in this? And how can we, knowing what we know now, how can we partner with him in the work of sharing that good news? Friends, what if the the kingdom of God is straining toward the day when all God's people are deployed in the work of the Great Commission? All God's people, disciples making disciples. Nobody thinking that it's somebody else's job. I can't talk about the Samaritan woman without talking about our partners in mission It's been a while since you've heard me tell the story, so I'm gonna tell it again. One of our partners in mission, you know them, it's a couple who serve in an evangelistic ministry headquartered in an Asian country, currently under increased persecution, and I I hesitate to mention any names because right now things are really tough in that area of the world. But these guys are passionate, they're passionate passionate about sharing the gospel among the least reached tribes of their home country. I was just talking to them by phone a couple, three weeks ago, and, and, and we prayed and we just sobbed together over the body of Christ. 
they often say that they believe their nation will be run, uh, won, excuse me, will be won for Christ by its women. And given the treatment of women in their culture, that statement feels like an unlikely ideal, but they train evangelists, they see amazing things happen all the time among woman, women, in fact so much so that they've recently renamed their organization and their primary focus now is almost exclusively directed toward women. And one of those women of God who they've seen come to Christ is, uh, we'll call her Sariah. She's an example of why they place such hope in this prophetic vision they have, that one day their country will be won by its women. Sariah was raised as an outcast in her country, and in her religion she was an outcast. She was poor from the day she was born, no way to escape when she married to another outcast. They made moonshine to make ends meet. And then one day she met a Christian who told her the biblical story of the Samaritan woman. Do you remember that story, the one we just told about? The woman who, who um, Sariah listened while this follower of Jesus told that whole story about that, 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 that outcast woman who was forbidden by her culture from gather, uh, getting water from the well at the same time other women got their water from the well because of the kind of woman she was and so she had to go in the middle of the day and she found Jesus at that well one day in the middle of the day. Jesus evidently had gone out of his way doing a very Philip-like thing to meet this woman at that well and he talked to this woman and, and he took a cup of water from her which was a big deal while he told her everything about herself. And then she went back and she told everybody in her city, can you believe I've met a man who knows everything about me and he accepted me? Well, Sariah heard that story about Jesus and this one outcast woman and she went home and she wrestled with that story all night long. And the next morning she went and she found that Christian again and she said, I want you to tell me that story again. And so the Christian told her the story again and she went home and she wrestled with the story and she wrestled with the story. She went back a third time and she asked to hear the story one more time. And after hearing it for the third time, Sariah said, I wanna be part of that story. And she came to believe in the saving grace of Jesus Christ because, she'd gone, because he had gone out of his way to find her. And Sariah's part of the world, indentured slavery, is a thing. And people like her who have a lot of debt can sell themselves to a rock-busting company or some other form of hard labor. And the owner of the company will pay off their debt, but then they basically never get out of debt to the, to the owner. They're there for the rest of their lives. It's almost impossible to win freedom. So Sariah and her husband, by the time she's heard the story, they are, they, uh, are slaves like that. They did hard labor every day. But then our mission partners met them. And when they were doing some outreach at that local quarry, they met this couple, they heard their story, and they decided to buy them back. So today, Sariah travels all over the region preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. She goes places, our friend says, that, that missionaries could never go. And she preaches boldly, trusting God to not only protect her, but to amplify her voice. And she doesn't have a Bible because she doesn't read. She's illiterate. But she knows the stories. 
and she knows the gospel. And so this beautiful woman of God tells the stories of Jesus and plants churches in parts of the world that are starving for the good news about redemption and restoration. And those two or three weeks ago when our mission partner and I were on the phone together, I caught up on her story and as of this month, she has planted 26 house churches. 26. She supervises dozens of pastors and their primary mode of evangelism is roadside vendors. Food trucks. That's what they do, they give people, they sell food on the side of the road while they tell the stories of Jesus and our mission partner says Jesus is her doctrine and his stories are her gospel. One of my all time favorite images is this one. And this is her. Off some beaten track somewhere, in the middle of nowhere, baptizing somebody who said, what's to prevent me? Isn't that glorious? I, I keep that on my phone. I, I keep that on my phone to remind me that I don't think I draw crowds, but I'm called to the one. That's one of my all-time favorite images. She is her country's Philip. And what if when Jesus went out of his way to walk through Samaria so he could win that Samaritan woman's heart, what if he had Philip in his heart when he did that? And the people of Samaria and that Ethiopian eunuch because he wanted to win Africa. And what if he had Sariah in his heart that day because he wants to win her country? And what if in the kingdom of God that's just the way it's done? If you want to disciple a city that looks like the kingdom of God, disciple people to follow Jesus. <laughs> Find somebody and tell them the story of Jesus. Find somebody and tell them the story of Jesus. That's how they'll know you're a disciple. That's how they'll know. So, in this bizarre world that we live in, I mean, we know the world is full of people who are starving to know something that's hopeful, right? Some word of hope, something that will restore their faith in humanity, restore their faith in God, that will give them sort of the grace to make the next step in their own lives. I mean, the world is full of people like that. Veronica can tell you, the world is full of people just waiting for somebody to get off the beaten path and sit down with them, tell them your testimony, tell them your story of Jesus so they can believe. And that job is everybody's job. And the gate of heaven is everywhere, everywhere. 
just last week or a week before last, I can't remember, just when I woke up one morning, I mean, I had, it almost felt like it was just a minute before I woke up. This thing came into my head, a, a statement that was just so crystal clear, just at the moment that I woke up. And the statement was this, you follow Jesus and he will walk you directly into your call. You follow Jesus and he will walk you directly into your call. And it came to me when I woke up like, that's a revelation. And I know that sounds simplistic to you, but for me that morning, that was a big word. That was revelation. You follow Jesus and he will walk you directly into your call, which means I don't have to have all the answers. Everything doesn't have to be logical. I don't have to understand in order to obey. Just follow Jesus. And he will walk me directly. He will walk you directly into your call. And so I will. I can't answer everything. Chris, help us out here. I can't answer everything. But I can tell you for myself, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have Who else is with me? Who else is ready to follow Jesus? Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.